Welcome to Revival in Jesus Way. Revival can happen now when you follow the way of the Master in all aspects, making disciples in His way, reasoning for truth in His way, and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit as He did. We encourage you to dream big for God's kingdom. I'm your host Tim Cahoe, and I am Yin Chu. Listening to Foundation Eleven, Episode Twenty-Two. Hell, are we not supposed to talk about that? Jesus teaches about hell when he shared the kingdom gospel. So in Foundation Nine, Episode Twenty, we talk about God's purpose in this world. That is to restore the world to be the good place He first created it to be. He has been working towards this purpose. From the very beginning until now, he is currently working in an age of grace, offering people the opportunity to repent of their rejection of him and to turn back to him and his standards, to receive power from the Holy Spirit to live a holy life as the kingdom citizens, light and salt among the evil world. However, the history will reach a point when there will be no more willing repentance from human beings. No matter how God extends the grace period, then the judgment will come. At that time, those who violate the king's law without true repentance, which is the changed life, will be cast out to hell. Why do we have to talk about this topic? Many people avoid this topic. Why it is so important? It's because it is part of the gospel. It's an important part of the gospel. We learn that. From Jesus preaching, actually, before Jesus in the Old Testament,、um, any other speakers,、uh, God speakers, were not clear about hell. But Jesus was the、uh, first one, and in his Sermon of Mount, actually, in his early ministry, he proclaimed very clearly about the knowledge of hell, and he used that to warn people about how to run towards God and live a holy life. Second is because、um, uh, second is simply because people try to avoid it, and、uh, there are a big number.、Uh, it's horrifying. A big number of people going to hell every day and every year, and people are not alert about it.、Uh, in in church,、um, oftentimes people don't teach about that,、um, and. And and the result is the more we avoid it, actually, the more we'll head to hell. Let's just take an example of this country, America. So according to CDC's data, seven thousand two hundred ninety-eight people die every day in U.S. on average. So in a year, over two hundred and fifty thousand people die. Among them, sixty-five percent of American adults. Well, not among them. I mean, in America,、um, according to the Pew Research, sixty-five percent of American adults describe themselves as Christians. So they are the professed Christians.、Um, but according to、um, Barnard study, uh, B-A-R-N-A, uh, reading, uh, reading and reflection on the Scripture actually is the number one determinant of.、Um, 
spiritual growth, um, the real sign of life, the sign of uh, eternal life. And only 19% of churchgoers, according to Christianity Today, uh, would personally read the Bible every day, and only 25% report being in the Word a few times a week. So even we use the, the number between 19% uh, or 25% of that 65% of people, we get a number roughly uh, among the 7,298 is only a little bit over 900. Mm -hmm. So uh, this very, very likely means that we don't have the exact number. I mean, nobody can have the exact number, uh, but very likely means over 6,000 people uh, just in U.S. die every day. Think about it. We live like a normal day, right? Just every day, especially when we are healthy, we, we don't feel like it. About over 6,000 people who didn't really have a vital life in front of God, didn't really pursue God, um, and probably they will end up in hell. Yeah, I mean, just uh, to think of a, a number to be associated with the number of people at risk here, I mean, 6,000 people a day, that means of the 250 over 250,000 people that are dying a year in the U.S., 220,000 of those people are are their their status in the kingdom is uncertain. You know, that's by all measures. Just looking at the measures here that we've taken out a few statistical measures, it it seems like that number of people really don't have a hope of of making it to the kingdom. Don't have a hope of really having that life inside themselves, and that ought to be a shocking factor. Like Anne said. Now, our agenda today is first, we want to talk about uh, the clear teaching on hell um, by Jesus. Um, it's clearly in Jesus' own disciple-making plan, in his own evangelism plan, so we should learn that too. The second, uh, why is hell an eternally tormenting place? Uh, and finally, we want to talk about some major objections um, from, uh, from modern Christians. Hmm. Yeah, so um, why Jesus taught evangelism, this and his evangelism um, disciple-making plan. Um, so Jesus taught and proclaimed and reasoned with people about the kingdom of heaven and the requirements of its citizens. But instead of being with God and living righteously, mankind has individually and collectively rejected God and pushed back against him. None of the people who are living on earth has the full experience of hell which is to completely leave the presence and favor of God. Even though we can have a foretaste in many ways on earth, there's a lot of ways that we begin to taste actually what it is like to be completely separate from God. Um, and this is echoed in our conscience. Um, the most merciful way is really that we warn people of this possibility, of the possibility of hell. And we clearly preach about it, just like Jesus did. Jesus you know, was the most loving person, we can say, who ever lived. And he also is the person who talked the most about hell, and there's a reason for that. Sin eventually produces death, so it produces spiritual death and physical death, and people die here on earth, and then there's judgment, and death eventually reaches hell. Therefore, pursuing holiness is not just an extra thing for some super active Christians, but it's vital for kingdom living. So surprisingly, actually, Jesus' disciple-making strategy is that each disciples should always have the picture of God's kingdom and the picture of hell in front of them to run an effective and enduring journey on the narrow way. 
until we reach the end. This echoes um, Paul's disciple-making plan, that he was running towards a goal, that he was working out his his salvation, you'll remember, he said, with fear and trembling, um, that he would beat his own body to ensure obedience, you know, to ensure he was really living in all the ways in his life as God would. He didn't want to disqualify himself from the very thing that he was trying to lead others into. He had an intensity about it. And this came from the hope of the kingdom, but also that real view that there's this possibility of separation from God. And so, yeah, and it's kind of like this idea of uh, teaching a kid to not touch fire or not drink poison or something out of showing them like, you know, the horrible thing that that will do. Like you'll die if you eat poison, you know, you'll you'll be burned or shocked if you if you mess with electricity or fire in the wrong way. And in the same way, hell is that kind of real um, example in front of us that separation from God is a horrible thing. Just to not be in God's presence, to be cast out of God's presence is a terrible, horrible thing. And it's a possibility there. And in in that way, it actually encourages us to uh, continue on, to, to run with endurance. And I think that's the reason why Jesus taught about it, why Jesus mentioned it. And why Jesus and why it's important for us to bring it in today. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, verses Matthew chapter five, verses twenty nine thirty, Jesus said, "If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell." Um, and this is one of those good examples, I think, of just the the intensity of, that hell brings actually into the picture of pursuing God that it's better actually what whatever it takes to really run after pursue holiness pursue being like Jesus with other people we ought to do it because the other side what what's left is so terrible is so much worse that it's we shouldn't it's it's worth all of the sacrifices it's worth running hard it's worth doing whatever we can to help others to really grow and pursue him because the alternative is horrible also the the thing that is achieved you know like Jesus also taught about like the pearl of great price and he has a lot of teaching about the hope the hope is so big but also the other alternative is so terrible it should be worth we're willing to risk whatever that others might really know him, that others might really walk with him and live a life in front of him. It ought to bring that kind of the dichotomy, you know, the 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 hope and the pushing on towards something great, but also the fear and trying to keep others from falling into something that's a very real option and is a terrible, terrible thing for a person to be separated from God. Mm-hmm. Because the, the goal is achievable. Mm. And, and it's like... Um, that's why Jesus always say, like, let everyone who have ear, listen, listen, listen and obey, because the goal is achievable and it's uh, you have the chance to avoid hell. That's right. And, um, and Matthew 10, 28 says, and do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. We want to start here um, in talking about the features of hell. So what is hell like according to the scripture? Um, And so hell has a few different factors that we see when we look at all the verses that talk about scripture. We'll look at some of them. There's actually, there's a lot of verses that 
give descriptions and pictures of what hell is like. So we can't cover them all today, but I want to cover a good selection of each element. So first, it's a place of torment. It's a place that's bad to be in, basically. And I think this is kind of needs to be set on the side of torture. It's not a place of torture. I think this is often misunderstood that God is somehow just torturing people in hell, but it is a place of absolute torment. It's a place that no one would ever want to be in. It's a place of separation from those who don't want God as king. It's a place where it's the other place. There's the kingdom in God's presence that will be for eternity when God comes back. But then there's this other place, this place that's not in God's presence, this place that's separated from him. And hell is that place, this place of separation. There's, it's a place that's cat, where people are cast out because they were useless for the kingdom. And we see this theme again and again, that this picture of uselessness is part of the casting out. You can't be useful in the kingdom. You are cast out from the kingdom. And then finally, it's a place of eternal punishment. It's a, it's a place that people are sent to out of judgment for their actions on earth. That Just like you throw away trash every day because trash has no use to you. And also it can cause harm, So mm-hmm. right? Because trash has a feature to it that it is not good. Not only is it not useful, but it's also not good. And that's kind of the picture of hell. Actually, uh, one of our favorite preachers talks about how the the um, Gehenna, the Valley of Gehenna, the the place that is often referenced when people when in it, for Jewish people, and when Jesus talks about hell, he actually mentions this valley. It was a it was a trash dump where they would burn the trash. And this is often the picture Jesus gives of throwing away the sticks, the branches that wouldn't grow fruit, of, of throwing away the rotten fruit, things like that, like things that are not useful and being thrown out. And then there's this idea of punishment. So first, torment. It's a place of, of torment. So Matthew uh, chapter 25, verse 10, it says, Cast out the worthless servant into outer darkness, that place where there'll be weeping, and gnashing of teeth. Now, this this weeping and gnashing of teeth is used again and again and again by Jesus. I think we have, there's a few other examples where we'll see it come out. But this place of outer darkness, this place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, this place that's terrible to be in. There's something terrible in essence of the place itself. Later, we'll see it's also referred to as a lake of fire. That's often where people get this imagery from. But there's this picture of this. It's there's this terrible suffering about hell. And um, I think to understand the suffering element, we need to go back to a concept we covered in our last talk about um, what death and life in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. So death is associated with sin. Death is associated with life away from God, life away from God's principles. We said that's what sin is. You know, really being righteous is really living according to God's way. It's living life in, in the way that God has made us to. It's living life with a purpose God has given. You know, we have a higher purpose because it's in God. It doesn't just come from ourselves. It's something that we can always run towards. We have a purpose for love, a reason to love one another. And it it causes love to be a central principle. We always pursue to love one another more and more because God is love. Because love is a central aspect. It's a pillar of what life is like, what life is meant to be. And so love, purpose, hope, all these things are found in God. But then the scriptures give this picture of as we move away from God, we move more and more into death, into separation, more and more out of the the central purpose and meaning of life. Uh, We no longer have a purpose. And we actually see this in 
atheist philosophers too over history. Uh, William Lane Craig talks about this really well when he talks about the hopelessness of atheism. And it's just uh, those philosophers you see more and more what purpose becomes is whatever purpose you make in yourself. And then there's this uh, terror of the void that um, that is talked about, this terror of kind of people feeling, having that feeling and knowing actually that their purpose is purposeful less. You know, their purpose doesn't really have a purpose and people can kind of feel the horror of that. And then the idea of those philosophers is kind of, well, you just you just really promote that purpose in yourself. So you forget about it. So you forget about the fact that it's not really, it doesn't have, it's not whole, it's not a whole kind of purpose. But then according to atheism, that's all you get. So you have to make your own purpose. So, but then this is just a picture. This is like a, a, a portrait of what life would really be like without God. And that, that, that kind of void would be the reality that void wouldn't just be something that comes up from time to time. Think about it. If you have an eternity to think about the lack of purpose and to really reason about it, you would realize completely you would have to live in the reality that that is reality. You would have to live in the reality that love, if God is not there, there's no purpose to love, that love is kind of a useless thing compared to, to other things. Like there's this this without God and coming into a full realization of the understanding of what it means to be without him that is in the very concept of hell, the very concept of being separated from God. And I think that's why we see, you know, fire and brimstone, you know, this, you know, the lake of fire, specifically outer darkness, you know, there's no light, you know, it's outer darkness, it's darkness that's completely away from the light. Mm -hmm. It's a place where there's weeping and sadness and gnashing, like gnashing, like, like looking for a purpose, but you can't find it. There's this just this frustratedness that doesn't go away. Yeah, and especially in those different parables um, in Matthew from chapter 20 to 25, um, if you're interested in this topic, actually you can examine those chapters that uh, Jesus gave different uh, several different parables about hell. And he always mentioned about gnashing of teeth and weeping. Mm. So I... It's like gnashing of teeth. It's like you're in a tormenting place. But also when you look at your life, you still have that memory. And you think of like, I I could have avoided all that, you know, but 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 I didn't. I choose to sin. I choose to um, leave God, reject God. Um, so, so people will have that, I think, complex feeling mm. that not just the sad, like just... Um, you know, so so I felt like that's very vivid about it. Mm, yeah. So whenever we talk about, uh, whenever we mention about the word hell, so you said the first the feature is a place of uh, tormenting. Mm. Um, but isn't it obvious? Isn't it common sense? Uh, I think whichever people in whichever culture they hear the word hell in their own language, nobody would associate that as the good place mm -hmm. why, yeah. why should we particularly mention about that that's the first feature i think it's important to mention it for a couple of reasons one is because the idea of torment in hell um is is often misunderstood and it's often kind of abused um through kind of atheist arguments or people who try to push people away from more of a like a evangelical or an orthodox understanding of scripture they try to make this seem like God is torturing people. But then the idea that there's torment, um, and 
So, so that's one reason. Another reason is actually just because of what you said, that people naturally know. One thing that's very interesting, and if you know other culture, if you're experienced and like you've seen other cultures and things like that, for instance, like you and like living in China and us watching these Chinese TV shows, right? The culture in China is atheistic. Like it's communistic and atheism is, you know, what people are brought up with. You know, we d- we've done ministry with students and who are from China and they've said, you know, like I, you know, I don't even know what God is. You know, I've never heard about this. And yet you see in these TV shows, um, you know, the, the topic of God, the topic of like this eternal place of punishment, hell, actually are things that are present. They're, they're like things that are still there, things people still reference, even though they have no, that even though it's a completely, uh, you know, quote unquote, godless culture, these things are like built in. To people like that, that there's more that morality is real, that um, pun that evil deeds deserve a kind of punishment after this world that continues on. That's a horrible thing that people go into that a lot of the time. Like you see in Chinese uh, death rituals or other people's death rituals, usually cultures don't see people as going into a good place. Usually they see people have a big risk of going into a bad place after they die. Mm-hmm. And Be- that's why the um, to to be kind to your ancestors is um, during every every year's those um, tom sweeping day that you better burn as many things to them as possible. Like you can burn those uh, paper money. I mean, not the real money. It's the dead people's money. And someone burn those little paper house or those things because they suffer a lot. So you need to burn something to them to let your ancestors um, feel better so you can continue to cheat your uh, parents or grandparents well even after they die so that it's like that bring lots of comfort mm. and, and then in your like say the maybe the worst cuss word would be like um like you, you're so bad you're cursed to the 18th layer of hell so it i think it's because the the buddhism influence the those um, Chinese idiom language so they have different layers of punishment so the 18th layer would be like the for for the worst people mm, yeah so hell is something very much in people's natures people know like from the start you kind of have this feeling and know that there would be a kind of hell so that's part of the the reason that we talk about the torment and also it's just this is the motivation of hell you know, like knowing that it is a place of torment, we shouldn't shy away from the fact that it is a tormenting, horrible place, because we should not by any means like allow ourselves to settle in and think that it's OK for people to go there You know, think that it's OK for people to just live a halfway Christian life and kind of not really know whether or not what their status is. We ought to we ought to work with others so that we know, we see the signs of redemption. We see the signs that they are in a relationship with Jesus. We see those real signs and we continue to help them like a baby becoming an adult and walking. We see them walk. We see them begin to move because hell is a place of torment. Hell is a place that's bad, very bad. And that badness of it is a motivation. It really is. It's a good motivation from God. It's a motivation that Jesus wanted us to have. Um, Second is separation. So I think the best uh, passage for this to talk about separation from God, those who don't accept him as king, is Luke 16, 23 through 26. Jesus says, 
In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. He saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus so that he may dip his finger in the water and cool off my tongue, for I am agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember during your life you received good things, and likewise Lazarus received bad things. Now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And beside all this, between you there is a great chasm fixed, so that those who wish to come over here to you will not be able to, and none may cross over from there to us. So here we see actually a lot of these elements all put together, and usually when we see a little bit extended picture of hell, we see that. Um, but the um, what one feature that we see very specifically here is there's a chasm between heaven and hell. There's a fixed chasm that after the judgment that this is fixed, that this is kind of, this is done. There's no way for people who are on one side to get over to the other side. There's something, I think, fixed in people's character and nature too. There's no longer a hope for repentance that um, between these two people, between Lazarus and between this rich man who ended up in hell because of his actions, that there's this chasm that's unable to be bridged. There's this inability to really make right with God from there on. There's no real hope for righteousness anymore. That person is now really just an example of this horrible separation that happens, this horrible way of living that is without God that so many people actually in this world desire. They say they don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to have to do with God. But then it says this is the reality, this chasm, where you are completely separated from God. You are completely without hope to be with him now. And that place of, of without him is like flames, is like torture, because God is part of what we need for life. God is the central element of life. Um, so, moving on to casting out due to uselessness in the kingdom, or not fitting. Um, and this is kind of controversial, uh, maybe because people don't like the idea of usefulness being associated with love. But one of the biggest examples Jesus uses, one of the biggest examples in the Bible is God considers usefulness, actually, to be utterly connected with closeness to him utterly connected with a life that is a kingdom life. And if your life isn't a kingdom life, then it isn't worthy of the kingdom. It isn't going to be accepted into the kingdom. Uh, for instance, Matthew. Oh, uh, always say once they, because uh, when, um, uh, when God first created human being, um, he made human being according to his image. And his image is um, later was distorted. Mm. Um, so, so that's about the usefulness. Yeah, that's right. That's that's really a good point. And that we were created to be in the image of God. But when we don't really live out that image, we become something else. And so it's this, whether or not we're able to live out that image of God is very important. That's central to what it means to be a human being. And in the kingdom, God is working to bring humanity back into the way he created us to be, right? So this usefulness, uselessness is this not being in the picture of what it means to be a person because of your choice. Not want to be forced back into um, reflecting God's glory. Yeah. So uh, Matthew 13, 28 through 30 is a good example. One good example of this. Um, 
And um, so it says, and he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, until the harvest. And in that time of the harvest, I will say to the, the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and burn them away. But the wheat gather into my barn. So this is a picture of farmers um, these servants of a farmer going to try to take the weeds or the tares away from the good plants, the wheat. And he says, no, wait until the end. And we're going to gather up those uh, things that are weeds. And we're going to gather up the wheat that has wheat there. And we're going to burn up all the tares and we're going to keep the wheat. And so this is a picture of that. There's this picture of usefulness, this picture of being the sort of thing that God has made us to be that is going to determine heaven or hell, that is going to determine if we're going to be in the kingdom. Have we accepted Jesus' righteous rule in our own hearts? Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to transform us? Are we continually pushing towards that purpose and that image of of God that, that Jesus displayed when he was on earth? Are we living towards his purpose? Are we living towards his mission? Are we making that part of our heart? You know, that picture of wheat, that picture of the good plant, and then tares are those things that are all they're doing is sucking life from the plant, sucking life from the right purpose. And he says that they will be taken away and burned up. And again, this is like Jesus's go to picture of hell. Mm-hmm. But God's mercy showed on earlier that even the slaves say, like, do you want us to uproot them? Because to, to wheat, I think when you grow crops, when you wheat things, that's very common, right? Mm. Um but God doesn't want to make one mistake that um, one wheat could have survived because of that. The the wheat cannot get to heaven, you know. Uh, mm. The I mean the the uh, one possible Christians, one possible human being can get to heaven, but because of some dealings that they missed the opportunity, then God doesn't want that to happen. I want everyone to be safe. Yeah, and there's a good verse actually in the Old Testament where uh, that's a prophecy of Jesus where it says that he will not like allow the smallest flame to winder. And, you know, that's a really amazing picture. It means if you have any hope, any desire to really be what God has created you to be, to really um, repent, to turn to him, then Jesus will fan that flame until it becomes a fire. But you have to work with him. We have to go with him. There has to be that flame. We, we need to turn to him or and we need to pursue him or Jesus has no flame to fan. But but God would even, there is a small flame. He's going to fan that flame that, that God, like you said, he has no desire that anyone should, should not be saved. Um, so uh, another example, a little bit further down is a uh, and also Matthew 13, and this is a dragnet that is cast into the sea. It says, and it gathered every fish of every kind, and it was filled. And they drew it on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age, Jesus says. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, Matthew 13, 47 through 50, a pretty clear picture. The bad fish, the fish that are not the the sort of fish that he would want to gather up and that would be good for eating, that, that he could see that are, are clearly the sort of fish that you would want to take and put on your table. Those other fish 
that are not according to the purpose that are useless will be thrown out into, and again, the picture of hell, you know, weeping and gnashing of teeth and the furnace of fire, this place of torment, this place of lostness, this place of purposelessness is the place for those who choose to, to be the sort of thing that, that is not that is not what God has created us to be, who don't pursue to be changed, turned over, recycled, transformed by God, who don't choose to be part of that kingdom repentance path, that that is the fate. Um, then we see Matthew 15, 12 through 14. Then the disciples said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, let them both fall in, both will fall into a pit. And so this is just another example of Jesus' language when he talks about even these teachers of the law, these people who attempt to teach God's word. Um, he's saying that if they're not planted by my father, if they're, they're growing as not according to God's way, they will too be torn out and cast away that God won't let that plant continue to grow. And this is, again, this is a picture of kind of the end of the age kind of thing, that God is not going to allow those plants that are not growing in his way, that are not planted in his way, that are not growing up. And so it's it's a call. It's a big call that we ought to be growing in God's way, set in God's way, moving to the purpose of God's way, and producing fruit according to his way. In John chapter 15, 5 and 6, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burn. And so this one ought to be a really fearful thing. This is a talk to the disciples about growth in him, about the need to be connected to him. And he says that if you don't abide in him regularly, if you're not with him, and it brings to mind to me the example from Christianity Today, the survey on how many Christians are really spending time regularly in the word, regularly in devotion to Jesus on a regular basis. He says, if you don't abide in me, then you'll be thrown out like a branch and you'll wither and those branches will be gathered and burned. He says that if you're not, because the picture is that if you're in the vine, then you have the hope for fruit. But then if you refuse to be connected to the vine, if you just are satisfied with just existing as a branch, he says that's not enough. Branches that don't have a usefulness, branches that aren't receiving resources for him will be thrown out and burned. He says that they don't have a reason for being in the kingdom, that they're, they're useless. And so they'll be thrown away in uselessness. They'll be cast away from the place of usefulness. And that is a fearful thing. Um, and then I'll give one more example from Luke um, for this part. And he, it said in Luke chapter 13, six, and, six or nine, it said, and he began telling this parable, a man with a fig tree, which had been planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and did not find any. And he said to the vine keeper, behold, for three years, I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree without finding any. Cut it down. Why does it even use up the ground? And he answered and said to him, let it alone, sir. For this year too, until I dig around it and put in fertilizer, and if it bears fruit next year, fine, but if not, cut it down. And so this is, a lot of times people will break down who is who in the parable, you know, looking at what is Jesus talking about. You know, the, the first man, the vineyard keeper, is like the father, and then the tree is like us. 
and then finally the the last person the um person who is taking care of the tree is this um it is this picture of Jesus and so th- this person is it, after the vine keeper has come and says that it hasn't bared any fruit, I want to cut it down. We see this picture that we just talked about of Jesus being this one who even the smallest flame, he's willing to kindle. He's willing to, he won't kindle it. He's not going to put it out. He's going to try to build it up to be a fire. And so even this tree that has never bared fruit, he says, sir, leave it alone. I'm going to dig around. it. I'm going to do everything possible so that a fruit might come out of this tree. That's, that's, you got to see that's Jesus's dedication in this picture of heaven and hell, of the kingdom or not the kingdom. Jesus is this person with this tree that has exists, that's planted, but it is not bearing fruit. And he says, please leave it alone and I'm going to plant. I'm going to do everything possible to have fruit. But then even Jesus says, if after all this in a year, it doesn't bear fruit, then it's worth being cast out. It's worth being thrown into the fire. It's worth not having any more chance to recover because it's shown itself to not be of me. It's shown itself to not be a tree. And it doesn't it doesn't need to take up the ground anymore. Now, this is an intense picture, and this is Jesus saying this. This is one of his primary go-to ways he talks about hell. One of the primary go-to ways he talks about the kingdom. He says, if this tree doesn't bear fruit, it is useless to my father. It is useless to the kingdom. It is not worth keeping. It is to be cast out. So how much more should we be motivated to see that our brothers and sisters in Christ bear fruit, that they are leading people to Christ, that they are really developing fruits of repentance? How how passionate should we be when this is the picture? We should really think about it. That usefulness is really, it's a moral thing, whether or not we really commit to God's way or whether we're just satisfied and being planted and considered a child of God. If we're just considered, if we just consider that, quote unquote, kind of this distant thing being enough, and we don't really want to be part of the kingdom, we don't want to be part of what God is doing, we don't want to see others saved, it in Jesus's eyes, it says a lot. It says everything he needs to know about us, really. There's nothing else he needs to know about us other than that, whether or not we want to take on God's heart and whether or not we do take on God's heart. Um, and, and this cast off is too, it's associated with, like I said, it's a, there's a moral thing that this casting out is associated with. So I'll just read uh, one of the verses on this. So Matthew 21, 39 through 44 says, And he took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? Um, and so this is that they took the vineyard owner's son and they threw him out. There were these farmers. They took the vineyard owner's son. And they took his servants who he sent to go and collect plants. They, they killed them. They beat them. They even killed his son. And it says, and Jesus asked the Pharisees, when the vineyard owner comes back, what will he do to those tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death. And let out the vineyards of some tenants who will give him their fruits and their seasons. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And this was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in his eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. When it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So the picture here is he's talking to these 
leaders in Israel, he's saying that you have not given the proper fruits to the vineyard owner, to the father. And so it's going to be taken from you and it's going to be given over to the other one. And again, the picture of the vineyard owner, I think, is important because it has this picture of being cast out, of not being useful, but also it has the moral side. You know, these people who were beating the servants that the vineyard owner sent to um, collect the fruits, these people who killed his son, these were bad people. You know, these people were committed to a cause against the vineyard owner. And this is part of Jesus' picture, is that not bearing fruit is kind of taking a hardened stand against God. If a Christian or a person who claims to be a Christian is in the church and they don't want to pursue God, the picture is that this is someone who is stubbornly against God. This is someone who has hardened their heart against God. They don't want anything to do with him. And Jesus connects this picture when you read through the Gospels, like you you do like a in a sitting, read through the Gospels, this, this picture really comes out strong in Jesus' point. He's saying it's it's not just like you're that you're useless. It's there's this immoral stand you're making against God. And God won't tolerate it. God won't allow you in the kingdom. But can we say uh, Jesus used this parable only point out uh, Pharisees? No, I think it's I think it's a so again, I think we shouldn't try to just like point like, oh, this group or that group. I think that what Jesus is saying, he's saying it, uh, he's making a principle, you know, he's talking about um, he's talking specifically about the Pharisee situation. Right. He's talking to them and he's also pointing out this parable to show them about themselves. But he's also talking about a kingdom principle that if people are not giving the fruit in its time to God, that they're not, that they have a chance to make the fruits, but they are refusing it. They're, they're refusing God in that way, that there is this moral element to that. That's why there's this casting out. Uh, but why an ordinary person, would you say the ordinary person on the street, uh, how can we say they are tenant? What do they rent from God? Yeah, so that's a good question. I mean, the, uh, I think that an ordinary person on the street um, wouldn't be fully, is in some partially way a tenant. And then I think that even more so someone who has made some kind of decision to follow God, like the Pharisees, like the people of Israel, or like people who are in the church today, are even more so a tenant. You know, like God created all people, right, to be a certain way. He created people to rule in this world. That's what we talked about in the purpose of people you know, what is human nature? And also we talked about in God's purpose in the world is he created people to be in his image, to be like him. We have a responsibility just by being human in this world to rule over it and bring God the fruits, you know, to bring God the fruit of this world, to bring God righteousness, to produce a world, you know, in to in our brothers and sisters, the people around us, to produce communities that are good and loving, but also to have that effect on nature and to have that effect on the the world around us um to manage um uh, to manage their household or any areas in under their influence mm. in god's way yeah exactly so like we all have that responsibility but even more so when we've made a decision to follow god um in then some you, way you rent like holy spirit yeah you rent the you land get, you get god's uh life uh, you su- you're supposed to all the more um, 
deal with things in yourself and um, other area in God's way. Yeah, it's like this. Like when a person makes a decision for Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10, it says, it, but if you confess him as Lord as part of that, what confessing him as Lord is saying, I no longer want my way. I want to go back into the kingdom way, right? I want to go back into the kingdom way. But if you say that, and then you, later you say, well, I don't really want to take care of this vineyard in the right way, though. But that's what you said you would do. You said that you would consider him as Lord in every way. You said that you would live his way. But if you say that you would live his way and then you don't, that in a way is even more horrible. That's um, really... So this tenant role, I think that the more and more close, that's why there's so many sayings in the Bible that talk about if you're a teacher, it, the more you know, actually, the more responsible you are. And so the more we know, the more of a commitment we have vocally made to God, um, the more we're liable to what that means to really living for him. You know, it's and it's also the moral picture of, like we said, like so many people die every day and go to hell. Well, there are kingdom workers spread throughout the country. There are people who are supposed to be salt and light spread throughout the country who aren't doing their job, who aren't being salt and light. And because of that, how many of those how many of those people who die and go to hell are actually related to that? Hmm. You know, how many of those people and that that's a serious moral thing that we ought to really take seriously and think about. Um, and then the last aspect of hell is that it's a judgment or a punishment for evil deeds. Um, Matthew 25, uh, 41 through 46 says, And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, um, cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And they will answer saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will say to them, truly, I say to you, you did when you did not do this for the one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And now go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So here Jesus talks about that there are those who did not um, care for their brothers and sisters the way that they should have, and that those who do these evil deeds, who did not care for them the way they should have, will be cast into eternal punishment, that the righteous will be cast into eternal life. So there's this punishment for evil deeds that has to do with hell. There's this casting into eternal punishment because of the evil people did in this world. Um, and then... 1 Thessalonians 5 through 9, um, Paul is talking about people who are persecuting the Christians in Thessalonia. 2 Thessalonians uh, 1, 5 through 9 says, um, This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to those who are afflicted, and to us when we, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay penalty and eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. So in Second Thessalonians, Paul actually encourages the believers there to say, these people who are persecuting you, 
there will be a day of judgment. And anyone who is not obeying the gospel of the Lord Jesus on that day will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Again, this is the word eternal. It's forever. It's an eternal punishment. Um, and it's also this away from the presence of the Lord. And it's a penalty, right? It's a just penalty for what they had done in this world. So hell is this just penalty that people face. It's eternal and it's separated. And Jude 1, 7, 1, 7 is a uh, another verse that um, gives this. It says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who sur- suffer the punishment and eternal fire. Again, eternal fire, eternal suffering, eternal this torment place and because of their deeds because of sexual immorality and perversion very specific things they had done that were evil that are judged that that judgment results in being in this place of eternal fire um, and then finally revelation 20 10 through 15 we mentioned this verse a lot because i think it's a really good summary verse on on judgment and on hell and it says and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. And I saw the great white throne and him who was seated on it from the presence, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was opened, the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up its dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up their dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not fit, found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this ta- this is pretty clear that and it says, And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So when we've talked about judgment in detail, so we don't need to get into it too much here, but hell, this eternal lake of fire, people being thrown into it, is done based on people's deeds, based on a, an overview of what people have done. And then God will make the decision for those who have done evil in this world that they will suffer in the lake of fire. Now, I would like to mention something real quick. Um, And this is about, um, sometimes people will say, well, how is it fair that everyone will suffer the same punishment no matter what sins they did? Um, And I think this is actually important when we talk about the the part of that hell is separation from God. Now, while anyone who is not in the kingdom will be separated from God, anyone who doesn't choose to live according to God's purpose is thrown into that, that lake of hell and fire. Um, there's also, because there's that principle of life is really being with God, living according to God's presence, who God is, and death, and really the punishment of death is comes from this being away from God. So the more evil someone is, the more evil someone does, actually the more torment, because the very, the very thing that is the tormenting part of hell is that person is stuck in that state of of whatever kind of deeds they did of the evil that they were stuck in they they are stuck in that kind of living that kind of that level of separation you know it's kind of the degrees of separation from god himself being in god's presence is where we want to be that is life itself but being far away from god is more and more horrible more and more a death kind of life more and more a tormenting horrible kind of life and so there is that kind of degree of punishment to what has been done. 
that is brought into eternity. That the that that person is the sort of thing that they've committed to in this life. So we really ought to think too. This this is a kind of a a cool segue that we ought to really think about what is our purpose as Christians? Is our purpose really to live for God? Because really that is life. If we are living for anything else, then we don't have life and we're not going to have life in eternity. You know, we need to commit ourselves to God's purpose. We need to not just try to, you know, legally find our our way into, uh, you know, an agreement that we can be be sure of we we ought to really have god's purpose as our purpose and then we'll really have eternal life we'll have that life in us when we repent and we turn to him god will give us that life that amazing life and also god does not have any intention to send any human being uh, who were created according to his image to hell mm-hmm. uh, like hebrew two sixteen talks about we also know that the Son, I mean Jesus, did not come to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. So hell was created for Satan and his followers. And every human being had uh, every human being has the chance to avoid hell. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, so um, I would say uh, Jesus gives a kind of world description in his teaching. He describes uh, people in hell as those who knew God was good, who had lots of evidence that separation from God would be bad. Again, we talked about like in China and other places too, where people, hell is kind of this this known thing, this known uh, thing. And actually God is kind of this known thing that that. You, when you're further away from God, it's it's a bad thing. When you, you're away from, you, you didn't obey God, that, that's a bad thing. You know, um, so yet they chose to treat him as unimportant. They chose to ma- treat him as unworthy or even evil or cruel. And then God reacts to this utter rejection of himself um, out of people's evil motives by casting them off, by destroying them by separating them from the good things that would come in the next life and being with him. You know, hell is a place of rejection from God. Mm-hmm. So the last part, uh, according to our agenda, do we want to talk about some typical objections? Um, yeah, so um, one uh, objection that we can talk about is, uh, I think there are several objections to hell. Some are more philosophical, like there's annihilationism which is that people are just annihilated i think we've kind of shown pretty clearly that's that's not accurate gave us the top three yeah so (laughs) and i yeah so there's annihilationism that um people are just eliminated when they die but i think that's pretty clearly not true because again we see the word eternal 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 again and again um we see that this is a eternal place of torment that torment is going to go on. You know, torment doesn't go on when you're just eliminated. I think the other thing about annihilationism um, is that it it seems to assume that non-existence would be better than existence. And I think that that's always wrong. I think even a little bit of life, even if it's kind of a torturing life, is better than non-existence. We really don't know what non-existence is. I think that people a lot of times want to think of non-existence like sleep. But non-existence isn't sleep. Non-existence is literally you don't exist. You've been completely eliminated. 
um, I, I think it's silly to try to consider this would be like a mercy. And I also, I don't think there's a need for it. I think annihilationism uh, tries to twist a lot of verses into fit with its picture. But I think it does this with a false belief that the normal picture of hell, the biblical picture of hell, is a not merciful one. The main thing is it doesn't have evidence in the Bible. Yeah, that's the main thing. There's, it's the, the verses in the Bible don't lead to that conclusion pretty obviously. Um, another one, and uh, this is really, I just really want to talk about this other one, because this is the main one I think people get messed up into. And there's this kind of, so universalism means everybody will be saved eventually. And that is philosophically, there are people who believe that there's universalist churches and things like that. Um, although I think this is a, probably not the most prevalent view of Christians and even some or people who aren't, who are like just generally religious. I think the main way people see it is that most people are good, pretty good in nature, and most people will go to heaven, although some bad people will go to hell. I think that's the typical picture, right? It's um, people's like unspoken, real theology conviction. Yeah, yeah. That, that well, you know, it, there was definitely people in hell, and hell is a bad place. You know, Hitler would definitely be in hell. You know, maybe you can name a few other, uh, you know, horrible people in history. But most people wouldn't. Most people are generally good. And I think really the answer to this is what we read, that Jesus's picture of hell pretty clearly stands against that, right? What Jesus said about hell, you know, like the two examples that came to mind is one is the women with the oil lamps. You know, they, these women are waiting out there and they aren't prepared. They just, you know, they're with these other women. They've been invited to this feast, this wedding feast. Um, they have, they're all waiting there with their oil lamps. And these women forgot to get enough oil to basically come in right away. And then they have to go off and look for oil afterwards, but they didn't have enough. So they're shut out from the feast. You know, that's a pretty intense picture. That's not kind of just, oh, everybody will go in. Everybody will kind of find their way. That's really a picture of God has a very, God has a standard, you know, and, and he is going to hold people to that standard. You know, hell is a very intense thing. You know, it's God's standard is you need to really live in his way. You need to really choose to follow him. You really need to prepare yourself. You really need to think about who God is. You know, God is the king. God is a person. God is the one above all that we should respect. You know, this is like the very central moral principle that of this honor and respect is that God above anyone else, we ought to have this respect and this honor for him and take him seriously. And those and the people who did not are cast away. They're, they're not allowed in the kingdom. And all the virgins were invited. Uh, they were equally invited. They, they, they were in. Mm. That's right. Um, and another example is a man not in wedding clothes. Um, if you remember this example in scripture, it, it, uh, Jesus describes a king who in, invites many people and they kind of represent Israel and he invites them to his wedding feast. But then they all come up with excuses on why they don't want to go. And then instead, the king invites everybody from the highways and everywhere else. And this is kind of the picture of Jesus going out and preaching. Um, and, but then the, one of the people who comes, the king finds him at his table and he's not wearing wedding clothes. So he came, he was invited, but he, isn't, he hasn't prepared himself for that day. He, you, uh, some people would say he's not wearing the robes of holiness. You know, he's not, he's not prepared 
to be at this wedding feast, and then he's cast out of that wedding feast. Simply, he wasn't prepared in his character. He wasn't prepared in following Jesus. You know, he he was he wasn't prepared, and God cast him out. So, like, I think these examples that Jesus gave really cast doubt on this picture of um, that everyone will be saved. And I mean, and most importantly. You know, it's like we read in the Thessalonians and again and again, it's those who have really chosen to believe in Jesus that are the ones who are really living in God's way. Those who have really chosen to turn to him. And if people aren't doing that, then there is no way into heaven. There is no way but through him. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one gets to the father except through me. So unless we really turn to him, unless we really run after him, unless we are are living for him and allowing him to transform us there is there's not another side hope it's a very specific defined hope and he said there's a narrow way and there's a wide way that leads to hell and that most people take the wide way the narrow way very few people take actually and this in itself ought to challenge this this false belief that a lot of people seem to have today that most people will get into heaven you know, Jesus pretty clearly said most people will not get into heaven. Most people will not really follow him. And in the end, I want to share of my own personal testimony. Uh, I think many of you who are listening to this episode um, are thinking, um, um, one, I mean, just like me, uh, many years ago, once I first uh really understand and submit to the gospel that I realized that in in my family, extended family, I mean, uh, among the people who already passed away, some passed away without Christ. And you, prob- you probably know that, I probably know that they would end up in hell. And, and like my great-grandparent, my great-grandmother, um, that she was the first one I have a memory and who's already passed away and she passed away when I was five. And at that time, um, uh, the, the whole family, the whole extended family were atheists. So, and I came to Christ when I was um, about 21. So when I thought about that, I was really sad because I can remember uh, our relationship and uh, it uh, it, it was very um, daunting to me, um, but I made a choice that I would not let my emotion change my theology um, because even it does, it even, even it changed my theology um, to kind of, I know that's kind of the trick some people play in their head, like gradually they uh, move towards the biblical view of salvation and hell to the universalism view because you cannot bear the pain. And I pray to God, like, you know, now I know the, the fact, you know, and I can still remember in, um, um, to be honest, I think she is a kinder person than my grandmother. And she served lots of people. She she cooked meals for us and and she was um she had been a kind uh great grandmother and um uh, i have 
uh, just just as we preparing this uh, episode, I thought of this example because I think I haven't even shared this with Tim, right? Uh, and I've thought of this example. I rem I clearly remember at that time um, after prayers. Um, I think God indeed moved me when I make a, the right moral decision that hey, I would not change God's word. Um, because even I let your emotion change my theology, still it wouldn't change God's theology. It's it's just there. And so I made a decision that, God, I want to pursue you. I want to evangelize from day one. I want to disciple as many people as I can. So no one in my family and in my um, among my friends, no one would go to hell because um, I don't share gospel with them because I don't disciple them. Um, and still, I'm, I'm, I'm still carrying out that uh, promise to God, uh, to my own family that, uh, you know, some of them even we prayed for years, more than 12 years. Um, my dad passed away last year, but he came to Christ. He, he was baptized two years before he passed away. And uh, when he was baptized, we, uh, I have been praying for him for 12 years. And my mom had been praying for him because uh, my mom came to Christ earlier. So she had been praying for him at that time by, for six years. So, so we can see that even the, um, uh, my family was pretty uh, uh, stubborn uh, atheism family uh, and later on mixed with Buddhist, stubborn Buddhism uh, part two. Uh, but we can see how God carried out his salvation in, even in such, such kind of a family and he's still doing the great work. Mm -hmm. Uh, before we close up, uh, remember uh, to talk about uh, the opposition about the uh, deathbed conversion. Uh, so in, it's like in the beginning, we quote those uh, numbers about like roughly about daily, how many people go to hell. Um, but one kind of um, the opposition, but, but we already said like we're not definitely sure that's like 6,000 something. Um, but probably the the number is pretty close, but mm. then for the uh, kind of people use the deathbed uh, conversion opposition, it's like for everybody, actually, they pass away, you don't know, because people can, without any talking, they, when they repent, they just need half, half a second before they die, and you don't know. So maybe all of them, you know, go to heaven or something, um, so on on now uh, on our this earth actually we cannot be sure of anything mm. that whether there are people go to hell even. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that this is a, a way of kind of rationalizing away the fear of hell that we should have in general, the fear for our neighbors, for our family, and things like that. Um, but I think it's we can see just rationally that most people are not going to make that um, decision that way. Um, it's why when we look at um, what people's motivation is whenever they pass away, you know, like if someone is turning to him, 
most people are going to be kind of like the the rich man in Lazarus parable. If they did cry out to him, it's going to be more of a motivation just out of the self-service, you know, and that way I think is not going to save someone. There needs to be a recognition of who Jesus is. Now, I think that that does happen. I think on the cross, for example, the, the poor man that was with Jesus, that he did cry out to Jesus, but there was some kind of recognition there but of who Jesus man was. cry out is already too late. You mean like before, if if that happens before he dies, but he cry out in that way, he just doesn't suffer, but actually he doesn't repent? Yeah, I'm say, saying I think that he his um, th- that was not real repentance that we see from the rich man. He wanted some water. You know, he wanted that. And then he said, oh, this place is so horrible. There, there were those emotions, but there was nothing really wanting to turn to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, what we see on the cross with Jesus and the poor man is there's a, there's a real desire that he wants something Jesus has. You know, he says, leave this man alone. You know, don't you see who this is? And then he he has his recognition moment. Now, Jesus can fan that flame. Even that person made that decision at the very end of his life. There's no hope of that person to really turn and live a righteous life afterwards because that's not really the, the main point. The main point is that he had really trusted, really desired, really wanted Jesus, you know, and that is enough to that God can accept someone, that God can transform someone. Um, but that has to happen. It can't, it's not enough. Someone just says it to be nice. It's not, there's many ways that someone, so what I'm saying is there's many ways someone could say that they choose Jesus on a deathbed that would not be a real conversion, I think. And I think just, we have to logically face that. And the other thing is there's many, when you look at death quotes, you know, if there's, um, it's pretty easy to find these like last, last words, um, what you see from many hardened atheists is not many people suddenly saying, oh, well, you know, God is right. Um, most people say something even more hardened when they die, actually. It's that they're glad they didn't have anything to do with God. They still choose to not um, really have anything to do with God. There's a lot of that. So I think just probability thinking from the examples we have, you know, deathbed conversion happens. It does happen. But it's not really something we can usually put our hopes on. Um, It may have happened, but we should never build our picture of life, our picture of how of the urgency of helping others, like accounting in deathbed conversion as if that takes care of like a thousand of those six thousand. If anything, maybe it takes care of like 20, 20 or 30. Like this probably would be a very small number at, at the most, we can say. Uh, most people don't suddenly have a, a decision to really fall after Jesus on their deathbed. Okay, so the conclusion of today is there is really, uh, hell is really an important part of the kingdom gospel Jesus has been preaching. And when uh, as Christians, when we grow, uh, we really need to see the urgency of Uh, grow in our own life and the urgency to share the gospel and to disciple others to fit living in the kingdom and we should always keep the picture of the of the goal we should run towards and and also the picture of the hell to keep us on walking on the narrow way Mm, that's right um so we hope you 
And we hope you learned from today's podcast, and uh, we hope that this foundation series is helping you to establish a foundation in your Christian life that helps you to really see the whole picture and be able to really live for God in your life. Um, Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening, and please hit subscribe.